Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And uh, we're in week three of our kind of our vision series, our We Are Aletheia um, series, where we're kind of unpacking um, just the values of the church and what uh, we see God uh, calling us to be and what we see God doing uh, in and through our church. And so two weeks ago, uh, we started off by saying uh, kind of our first value uh, is God's glory. And, and what we meant by that is that we exist as a church, right? All of us here in this room this morning, we exist by God's grace, but for his glory. And, and so that the, the fact that you have breath in your lungs, the fact that uh, you are here this morning, maybe in good health, that you have a job, that you might be a student in school, getting ready to graduate, whatever it may be, that your very existence brings glory to God. But then on top of that, Right, God uniquely calls his people to display his glory uh, to the world around us. Ultimately, maybe another way to put this would be is that church um, ultimately at the end of the day is not for us. It's not for our growth. It's not for our name primarily, but it's for the glory and renown of Jesus to make much of him, that we are God's people here in the midst of foreign territory seeking to make much of him. And then last week, uh, we kind of put two different values together that we have, and we titled those the Everyday Church and Going Beyond Aletheia. And what we said is church is not a building or even really an organization, but that the church is the called out people of God on mission together. That if you are a disciple of Jesus here this morning, you are a part of the church that that is an identified fact about who you are, whether you are an official rolled member at the church, whether you've gone through some sort of catechism or confirmation in your church or whatever it may be, that you are a part of the church, the body of Christ, if right, you are in Christ as his disciple, and that the church is God's chosen people, not a building, and that those people are called to live life together. We're called to live life on mission, serving one another, serving our community. We're called to uh, evangelize, which is to share the good news of Jesus and what he's done both to one another as lost and weary sinners, quick to forget what God has done for us, but also to those that do not know Jesus currently, that we are called to do pastoral care amongst one another, where we are uh, mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice and shepherding one another through the highs and lows of life. And then lastly, that we were called to actually physically be in community together. That is what God desires for his church. And we are going to expand upon that this week because our value this week is gospel community. And when I say that, right, I know that immediately some of you guys run to those little groups that we have that meet throughout the week because we call those gospel communities. And I would say this, those groups are intentionally named gospel communities because we want them to reflect the type of things that we're going to be talking about this morning but gospel community in its essence is a lot deeper than just a, a group of 15 to 20 people that meet together throughout the week to study the Bible together and do some of the things that we, we talked about. And so let me read our definition of gospel community to you, 
And then we'll start unpacking uh, the text in 1 Peter this morning. So gospel communities intentionally strive to declare the excellencies of Christ and demonstrate the love of God in practical and sacrificial ways. An early example of this is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They, that was the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and food. They shared all things in common, sold possessions, and distributed to people as they had need. God together. This descriptive text inspires us and lays a foundation that we can follow and adapt to our unique time and place that God has assigned us for. Remembering that our community not only exists for those currently in our group, but also for those who are not in our group and may not know Christ. Meaning, what we think and see about what God kind of says about community and what it's supposed to look like is that it's designed for the church, the body of Christ, but it's also designed by nature to be attractive to those outside the church, the body of Christ, because it carries the same essence and nature and character of God's love for his creation and his people. And so it should look a certain way, right? So I hope to do three things today. I hope to unpack the importance of community just in general for us as we spend our time in the Word this morning. I hope to unpack the call to gospel community that we see inside of Scripture and how this is not just something we're designed to live out, but it's a command by God for us. And, and as I'm going to present to you guys an implication of the gospel. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the uniqueness and the power that gospel community has in relation to other forms of community that exist out there. So I'm going to get you guys involved here for a second. So I'm going to need participation. Everybody shake your heads like, yes, Pastor Kevin, I want to participate and humor you in the question that you're about to ask. Okay, I got like six nods. Thank you for the six of you who want to participate. Okay, so I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I want you to raise your hand and then just keep it raised if that answer is true of you. If something I ask is true of you and you have your hand up, and then another one I say is true of you, just put both hands up, okay? All right, raise your hand if you belong to one of the following groups, a fraternity or a sorority. Keep your hands up. A campus organization at UF or Santa Fe. Boom, there we go, right? If you are part of a, a club of some type at the university or at Santa Fe, hey, there's some more hands. If you are one of those fools like myself that is a part of an HOA, <laughs> right? Yep. All the students are like, what's an HOA? You will learn. <laughs> you will learn. A country club. All right. Um, if you are a part of a sports team or an intramural sports team. All right, some more hands went up. A professional development or mentor group. Okay. CrossFit or gym? Okay, there we go. Okay, so this like is like 60 to 75% of you. I'm not sure what the rest of you are doing with your time. Okay? Either that or there are obviously, I understand this, there are lots of other groups out here that I didn't mention, right? But here's, here's what I wanted to display to you guys, okay? 
Remember the number of hands that were up and the number of people that, that, that communicate their important. What, what does that communicate to us as a people, seeing that many people raise their hands? Or what, is, what does that say about us as human beings? It says we crave community. We, we, we crave connectedness. Um, we crave being around other people. We crave being known. I mean, like some of us, like we, we don't really like community, but we still know we need it, so we're on Facebook, right? Like there, there's just this idea that we need to be connected to one another. And, and here's, I mean, it is a buzzword right now in, in, in communities and places outside of the church. If you don't believe me, drive by some of the apartment complexes and look at what their ads are outside of the complex, right? We've got this pool. We've got this clubhouse. Come be a part of this community, right? Promising you something that they know you need and want and desire, but may very well not be able to offer in return, but they're promising that they're going to do so, right? And the question, right, is why? Why did so many people raise their hands? Why, why if we went out around the city of Gainesville today and maybe did an informal poll and asked people if they were part of community and if they viewed that as something that was important, would most of them say yes? And the answer goes all the way back to Genesis. Right? And the fact that God created us as human beings for community. There, there are examples of this littered throughout Scripture. Right? Go back to Genesis chapter 1 for me, and let's, let's unpack this idea. Because I want you to leave here today knowing like community is something that's ingrained in who God created me to be, and it's not wrong for me to long for this. I think sometimes some of us, you know, we, we long for community, and we're struggling to find it, and we feel really hurt by that, and we think something's wrong with us. And, and there might be something wrong with you. There's probably a lot of things wrong with you just like there are with me, but the longing for community is not the problem. Right? God designed us for this. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 26 with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so some of you guys are going to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and you're going to completely miss a huge theological nugget that is laid out for you there. For those of you, like my wife, who care deeply about English language, you think that the author of Genesis really struggles with grammar. Right? Look at what he says, right? Then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image, singular. Anybody see some issues there grammatically? Right? Technically, right, if you read through that passage, you look like this, like, this doesn't make grammatical sense. Like, what is going on here? Right? And what we see is very early on, all the way back in Genesis 1, is God is unveiling to us right, something about his nature and who he is. 
right, before it's ever implicitly or explicitly taught anywhere else in Scripture, and that's this idea of God being Trinitarian. Now, I don't have time to try to explain the Trinity to you today, and even if I did, we would probably all leave here with our heads exploding, right? By the way, if you've ever tried to understand the Trinity and you don't think you get it, let me just give you a, a piece of advice, something that was very comforting to me right, while I was in seminary. If you are trying to understand deep things about God and having a hard time grasping them and reconciling them, that's okay. God's word is trying to, one, explain the glory and the majesty and the grandeur of God in human language, and two, if you can't fully understand God, good, he's God, you're not. I don't know about you guys, I prefer to worship a God who's bigger than me. I worshiped myself for 20 years, didn't go great. God should be smarter than you. God should know more than you. And there should be things about God that you don't understand and fully know unless he reveals them to you. That's a weird tension for us to live in post-enlightenment. I get it, especially in a university town where we can know everything. But I'm here to tell you that if God is really God, it's good that you can't know everything. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, is we see God really saying, okay, I'm going to create man and woman, in my image and likeness. And because they're made in my image and likeness, they are going to reflect my nature and my character and attributes. And one of those attributes would be, because God is Trinitarian, he is in community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed in communion with one another for eternity past and eternity future. And you guys are like, I can't fathom that good. Right? They have always existed. Right? I don't know if it's like a wormhole, multiple dimensions thing. I don't know. The physics people can maybe explain it to me. I don't know. But they've always existed, and they've always been in perfect community with one another. And because we're made in God's image and likeness, right, we long for that type of intimacy and that type of community in our very souls because we're created in God's image and likeness. I mean, so to long for community is to long to display the image of God that has been imprinted on our hearts all the way back when God created us. Now, if you move into Genesis chapter 2, not only do we see from Genesis 1 that God has kind of implanted this on our hearts, that he has created us for community, but he goes on to tell us that, hey, not only have I created you this way, but I'm going to remind you that it's not good for you to be alone. All right, look at verse 18 in chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Pretty straightforward. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So let me pause here for a second. Dog and cat lovers, your pets are not a replacement for community. Not, by the way, this is not me ragging on your pet. Have a pet. They're great. They're not a replacement for human community. And, so, and I've talked to dog owners, they're like, humans are hard. Yes, you are. Thank you. 
Thank you for acknowledging that you're difficult to be around sometimes. So am I. Your dog is conditioned. You feed it. You stopped. He probably wouldn't be very fun to be around either. But what we see here in Genesis 2 is God is saying, hey, it is not good for you to be isolated. And that there is something unique about the relationships that human beings can have that is valuable outside of even our connection with nature and creation and other creatures. Moving forward. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. God fashions Eve, right? And if you know what happens next, Adam, you know, this dude, breaks out in poetry and song and worships God. He's like, you did it, God. You found someone who I can relate to, who, who can know me, and I can know her, and that we can be in relationship with one another. Right? But what we see is God made man in his image and likeness, and even in creating man, he said it is not good for man to be alone, and he creates woman. Right, one, of the, one of the other things we see if we move over to Proverbs, right, which is filled with wisdom right, and knowledge. Right? Solomon was this great king who was known around the world during his time as being one of the wisest men in all the world. Right? What we see from Solomon is that wisdom is found in community. Right? Look at Proverbs 13.20 with me. He says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So kind of saying like, hey, your community matters because if they're a bunch of idiots, you're going to be an idiot too, right? And then look at Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, right? This idea that community is vital to our maturity, our growth, and who we are. So the reason we hear people talk about community and long for it so much is because God literally designed us for this. This is who God created us to be. It's not good for us to be alone. That we were made in his image. And because God is community in the Trinity, that we long for that type of intimacy, that type of encouragement, wisdom, affirmation, and love that comes from authentic community. But one of the things I want to make sure that we posit and, and understand this morning is that there are many forms of community out there that build themselves as fulfilling the type of things that our soul longs for, but only gospel community is the one that will actually fulfill that. That gospel community is the place that we go to for true encouragement, wisdom, affirmation, love, authentic community, and that comes through Christ and in Christ. If we go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 2 again, starting in verse 9, I mean, just look at even the language that Peter uses here to describe community. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Right? Notice all the language there. It's community-based. You as a people are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Right? Those are all um, groups of community, of gathered people under one banner or one identity. Right? Like we are Floridians. Right? Some of you are like, nah, I ain't a Floridian. Y'all are crazy. I see you in the news. You live here right now, though, don't you? Right? We are Americans. Right? We are humans, right? We belong, though, to something, right? A bigger than ourselves, right? And ultimately, what Peter is saying here is like, hey, the ultimate banner you guys fall under is your identity and your creator and what his son has done for you. But that is the community that you are a part of, that you are a people for his possession. I mean, if you move forward, right, it, it, some of the language is, is all rooted in identity. If you get to verse 11, right, he calls the church, the people he just called a royal priesthood, and he called them a holy nation. He says, you guys are sojourners and exiles. Like, hey, if the church, here, here's something to think through for us this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, track, track with me on this one. The audience of this letter is persecuted Christians on some level trying to live out the implications of gospel community in the midst of persecution wherever they're living. And they're asking questions, sometimes questions that we as a church ask, as as our own culture in the U.S. becomes increasingly hostile towards the gospel, and that's relative, but it has definitely in my lifetime become more hostile to claim to be a follower of Jesus than it was 20 years ago. Right When I was a kid, everybody, everybody was a Christian. Everybody went to church, just what we did. And it was culturally advantageous to claim to be one. That's not the case anymore. Right? There's a, a cost of discipleship now that comes for us. But what we see here is this audience, is they're sitting back and you have Peter saying, to them, hey, you guys are a holy nation. Right? You're God's own people, his community of saints And they're asking questions, well, if that's the case, if we're really God's people, has God forsaken us? In the midst of persecution, has God forsaken us? Do do we have a purpose? Do we matter? Peter's like, yes! Yes! You are chosen. You are God's chosen people. Collectively, you gather to bring glory to God. If you look back at verse 9, you are a people his own possession, and look at this line, that you may proclaim excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, that is what we're after here, right? That we exist to declare that, and we gather in community because that's what we're longing for. And our heart's longing for community can find so many of these things, but ultimately we'll find that if it's not attached to this idea of being connected to God's people, expanding the glory of God and what we say and do, right? we're going we're gonna to find this gap. We're going to find something missing. Now, I know what some of the pushback to this is. 
because I've been in ministry and I've been a follower of Jesus long enough, right? When you start talking about community and specifically when pastors get up in front of people and they start talking about how important the church is and how important gospel community is, right? I've heard all the pushback to that. What about church hurt? What, what, what about that, pastor? You know, what, what about, I've been a part of churches that have hurt me in the past. What, what, about, what about the church that I just don't connect with? You know, like I just, I don't really connect with them. We don't really have anything in common, right? It's my belief that God calls us to pursue being a part of gospel community, which is only found in the church, to be a part of gospel community, right? Whether we feel like it or not. Right? Knowing that intrinsically we're designed for that community, but God also commands us to do so because he has designed his people, his holy nation, his royal priesthood. He has designed them for community and called them to that community even when it is hard. I mean, how many of you guys have ever heard this statement? I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. It's too full of hypocrites. Right? Or this, this one especially. I've been asked this question multiple times. If my relationship with Jesus is really personal, why do I have to be a part of church community? And that second question in particular is a good question. Not because there's truth in it, because there's not, but because it displays, in my opinion, and often overlooked and misunderstood application and aspect of the gospel. Right? We've been taught for years that Christ died for us. That is true. But that is not all the gospel message. Right? Look, look, holistically, right, we need to understand and capture the power behind the gospel because if we fail to understand and realize the totality of what the good news of Jesus does for us and communicates to us, we'll flounder in an island, isolated and all alone, not knowing that God wants to use the people sitting in this room around you this morning to push you to a deeper love, knowledge, and hope in him. That is, that is how God has designed it. And some of you are like, well, I don't really like that. Tough. You didn't design it. Right? You aren't the God of the universe. That God has called his church to be this way. And he is the one that gets to decide that. Right? The gospel declares a number of things. Right? And, I, and we don't have time to, to go into detail about that. But I'm going to break it down into two categories. Because I want us to walk away this morning both understanding right, penal substitutionary atonement. I mean, you're like, what are you talking about? It's just the idea of Christ giving us his righteousness and taking on our sinfulness and that we are declared righteous before God. But we need to understand that the gospel both is the truth of what we have been delivered from, our sin, but also it is the good news and truth of what we have been delivered to, which is community and life in him. Right, look at Titus chapter 2 with me really quick. Verse 14. Right, so 
Paul's un, out, just laying out for Titus, you know, the, the, the truth of what God has done and salvation for all people and how he can call them to holiness. And look what he says in verse 14. He's talking about Jesus here and he says, it's Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? Do you see, do you see what, what's going on there? Right? This is a beautiful kind of uh, synopsis of the good news. Right? He says, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So there's the personal side of the gospel, the personal application of the good news. Right? God has redeemed us, bought us out of slavery to sin and death. Right? That's the, the personal application of the gospel. Right? And so people are like, hey, like, it's personal, right? My relationship with Jesus is personal because he bought me out of my sinfulness. Yes and amen. But look at the next part. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Is that all personal? It's all community language. It's all... It's all language about his people collectively together, right? Being redeemed and then Jesus having given himself up to place us in community for good works. That the church lives out the implications of what Jesus has done so we glorify him together, not on our own. Right? Go to Acts chapter 26. I love this passage, right? Paul is... Uh, being questioned by King Agrippa, and he's sharing his testimony with Agrippa. And, and look at what he says, starting in verse 17. He's quoting Jesus here on the road to Damascus. And this is what Jesus said to Paul. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Right? So he's giving Paul this mission to go be a pastor and a preacher and a church planner. Then look at verse 18 to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here you have Paul. He's sharing his testimony to Agrippa. He's on the road to Damascus in this part of his story. God has called him as a witness to the Gentiles of what Jesus has done. Basically saying, hey, Jesus is this promised Messiah that God had promised to us. And he looks at Paul and he says, I want you to go everywhere you can. And your mission, Paul, is to share the good news of what I have done to rescue people from their sin, to, to offer them forgiveness and mercy, to open their eyes so that they may be reconciled to God and have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See the beauty here? If the gospel declares personally that God has reconciled you to himself, that God has reconciled me to him, that he did all the work to reconcile us, but that he is also in that work included us and called us into his family with a purpose. Right? Even Ephesians chapter 2, 
Right? This is a, that famous passage, right? People, you, if you were part of Awana, you probably memorized this. Right? Ephesians 2 and 8. Two, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Everybody loves to memorize this passage, right? Read it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, right? Everyone reads that and they stop there. Great. God has redeemed me. He's chosen me. He's picked me. Yes and amen. Why don't you read verse 10? For we are his, we collectively are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Works for gospel community. For doing the things we talked about last week and being the everyday church and going beyond Aletheia to do that, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As the gospel is personal, but it's also communal. The gospel declares the good news of what God has done for us, that we have been reconciled to God and are no longer considered rebellion and being uh, judged and sentenced to eternity in hell. But it also declares the good news that we are called as God's people to gather together in community to advance the mission of Jesus. Pastoring one another, sharing with one another, serving one another, serving our city, serving those that don't know the Lord, and sharing the good news of reconciliation and community with others. And some of you guys are like, yeah, the church doesn't always do that. I know. I know. Guess who else knows that? Jesus. Grace is sufficient for us. His grace is sufficient for the church that's fighting over things they shouldn't be fighting over. His grace is sufficient for the church that can't figure out how to be unified, but that if they might repent and turn to him, they can be unified. Right? We don't walk away from the bride of Christ and from community just because we've been hurt by it. Trust God and his promises, and we walk in obedience. Now, we've seen that we're both designed in our very nature to long for community, and not only are we designed for community, but we're called to it by God and his word, both in the Old Testament and and in in, in the gospel. And so I want to finish by by looking at one final thing, and that's this. Why, Why is gospel community different than any other type of community that might be out there? What, what distinguishes the type of community inside of the church from any other type of community out there? Because, guys, I know that there are st- some strong communities out there. Fraternities and sororities, you guys love each other. Like, I love that for you guys. Some of you CrossFitters, are, it's like a cult. Right? Like, how dare you talk about CrossFit? Look, I was doing CrossFit in 2004 when it was on a message board. And there were no such thing as gyms. So I know what you're into. They were just as crazy online as they are in the gyms. Right? Like those communities can be great places. But they're not the place that God wants you to lock arms and go on mission 
for him. He might want you to be with another Christian to go into those places, but those aren't the primary places for your community. Right? And this means that there is uniqueness and power in gospel community in the church. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles who abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, so we're going to see four things about gospel community or the church here that are unique and make it different from other types of community and why it's so important for us to be in them. Right, here's the first one. Right, gospel community provides accountability. Right, he says there in verse 11, right, there are so, that we are sojourners and exiles. Okay, So I talked about this a minute ago, but let me just say this. Do you guys ever feel like sometimes when you look out over the landscape of the world around us that, there's, that something just feels off? That the world just doesn't seem right? I don't know about you, anytime I look at politics, I'm like, yeah, I don't like any of them. Something's just off here, right? Republicans get this wrong, Democrats get this wrong, Libertarians get this wrong, Green Party gets this wrong. How many parties, do, how many more do I have to go to make sure I've hit all of you guys in the room? There's just something off there. Like there's hints of truth mixed with untruths. Like something just seems off to me. Right? What, what Peter's explaining to us is, Christians, you long for your king. And you long for his kingdom. And when you look out on the world around you and you see injustice, you see brokenness, you see hurt, and you see the solutions being offered for those things being something other than God, you should feel broken. You should feel like a sojourner or an exile. Like an alien. Like, I don't even belong amongst these people. They think so different from me. I don't even know what they're, like, what's going on here. And he says, earth as it is right now is not our home. And here's what is further communicated in that. That with that, with the brokenness of the world around us, it means that, that we experience and are underneath right, the realities of both our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. And that sin will rob us of joy in our creator and living out our purpose for him. Guys, sin is one of those things that is so difficult. The reason why, like all of you in this room, if I asked you, are you battling anything right now? You would say yes, because this is what sin does. It promises you something and then it never delivers what it fully promises on. That's the problem with it, right? At face value, it's like going to a used car dealer and you, the car has been waxed and shined and looks really good, but the guy puts sawdust in it. And it runs good for about 30 miles, and then you get it home and it won't start again. You got promised this car that was great and would run awesome, and you start it up and it sounds great, and then the implications of it is you have a car that doesn't run. Sin does the same thing. 
It promises you a bill of goods, a bunch of happiness, a bunch of joy, and all it delivers is hopelessness, confusion, brokenness, disharmony, and disunity. I've seen it firsthand, guys, in my own life and in my own marriage. Never once have I chosen sin in my marriage and three weeks later been like, that was a good idea. I'm glad I did that. It's a great decision. There have been plenty of times where I've chosen not to, and it was hard. But it brought me joy in the long run. It brought me closer to my wife. Right? It displayed that she could trust me, right? that we might grow together. And the, the, when we look at what Peter is saying here, right? he's saying, hey, sin robs us of joy, but gospel community provides accountability to us so that we might be encouraged to abstain from the passions of the flesh and to enjoy obedience in Christ. The church provides us with an opportunity to be in authentic and transparent relationships. It's gospel authenticity. Here's what I mean by that. Right? If relationships inside of a church are really strong and the community is like what we're talking about here, you can be fully known and yet fully loved. I promise you that almost any other relationship you have outside of the church does not provide that for you. It might look like it, but it does not. Guys, this is what you long for. This is what ultimately is given to you in Christ. God knows everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Think about that for a second. He knows everything about you. And yet, in Romans, Paul says, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dang. You're fully loved, fully known, chosen. And gospel community is the place that we go to to be fully known and fully loved by others, but also to remind our weary and sinful souls that we are fully known and loved by God. Guys, I have one sermon every week centered around Jesus because that's what we need. I spend six days a week at war with myself oftentimes because I forget about how good Jesus really is. And I have it easier than some of you guys. My stinking job is to tell people about this all the time. If anyone's going to be successful at remembering seven days a week, 24-7, that Jesus died for them and that I can trust him, it should probably be me. I fail, which makes me super sympathetic towards you guys. This is why we gather in community, because we need one another for accountability and to point us back to him.
Now, not only does gospel community provide us with accountability and overcoming sin and, and experience and joy and obedience to Christ, but it also provides us with greater knowledge of God and who he is. Now, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Right? Early Christians gathered regularly, regularly to be reminded of God, what he had done for them in Christ. And we do the same. We gather together on Sunday mornings. We gather together throughout the week to remind our forgetful souls of the truth of what God has done for us. And that God is really as good as he says he is. That we grow in the truths of God this allows our faith to increase over time as we learn more about his promises and then see his faithfulness to those promises. As you aren't going to get that at the CrossFit gym. You're not going to get that in the engineering society at UF. You won't likely even get that in your sorority or fraternity. We'll get that with the church, the body of Christ, his people gathered together intentionally living this out. Number three, gospel community provides for our needs in times of need. Now look at verses 42 through 45. This is to the breaking of bread and prayers, and he moves into verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. Right? They banded together to help provide for one another. This allowed people to tangibly see and experience God's provision for them. Right? One of the beautiful things about the promises of God to provide for his people is he often provides for his people through his people. Like, hey, God is faithful to me through his people, because God had commanded his people to be faithful to me. So God still kept his promise. Right? This is the beauty of the body of Christ. We provide for others because God first provided for us. This is all rooted in the gospel. Number four, gospel community provides a united opportunity for mission. Right? Look at verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, so here's the awesome things, right? It says day by day, right, this community, this gospel community in Jerusalem right, was gathering together, they were attending the temple, they were worshiping God, they were sharing meals together, they were praising God, and with that, they had a great reputation in the community, and they saw people day by day coming to know and trust in Christ. Guys, it looks a little bit different in 2021, but that's what we're after. 
right? Encouraging accountability with one another, providing for one another, worshiping God together, knowing him more deeply and more intimately. And as we grow in that, we make much of Jesus. And we make him out to be the chief treasure and prize of life. As I can speak from experience, that one of the most compelling things for me when I was in college and, when, and I was not a follower of Jesus was the fact that there were other Christians that would not leave me alone that really did just love Jesus and one another a whole lot, and I could not deny it. I tried. Like, yeah, you guys got some mutually beneficial stuff going on here. And then I started hanging out with them, and then I started... You know, God kind of like mercifully started revealing things about myself. I'm like, why do these people hang out with me? I'm not fun to be around. I'm a jerk. All I do is question them every step of the way and tell them how stupid they are for believing this. They're like, well, no, I'm not dumb, but okay. I love you anyway. What? The beauty of of gospel community is not only the encouragement and the love that it provides to us as believers, but it's a sweet aroma that connects to the heart longings of every human being on this earth because they were designed for community and they long for it. Guys, this is why I love the church so much. This is why if, I'm ch- if I have to choose between a sports team or the church, I'm going to choose the church. This is why if I have to choose between youth sports for my kids or the church, I'm going to choose the church. This is why if I have to choose between the uh, CrossFit group or the church, I'm going to choose the church. You may have it to where you can do all three of those things and be a part of the ch- church. Yes and amen. You don't want kids. But when it comes down to it and you have to start making hard decisions about community and where to prioritize your time, the call on your life and the need of your very soul is to be connected to the church, the body of Christ, and gospel community. We seek here at Aletheia Church to be a community, not just because we need to be around other people, but we want to glorify God and lead one another to him. And in that, we want to see other people come to know him as well. We seek to be united in clarity over a sincere love for God, over a sincere love for people. I mean, our weekly gatherings are called gospel communities where we gather together to pursue accountability, to pursue knowledge of God, to share a meal together, to be on mission together. And in doing so, we are part of a movement, our family, far bigger than anything else this world has to offer. So pause and think about this for a second. Right? It is currently 1042 on a Sunday morning. Around the world today, millions and millions of people will gather together in different languages different cultural backgrounds, different countries, of different socioeconomic statuses, for one reason. Worship Jesus. 
to praise the one who made a way when there was no way. To praise the one who has redeemed and reconciled us to God. To celebrate the truth of who God is and what he has done. And to partner together in their communities with other local churches in that community and with the church universal. Proclaim excellencies him called them from darkness to light. First Peter chapter 3. That's what we're after here, guys. Not, not just even our little community here. Little is relative, right? Not just even after our little. We are after the glory of God together with our brothers and sisters all over this planet. So that those who do not know him may be invited to respond to that as well. So here's what I want, here's what I want to do. If I can get somebody to come up and turn the light off for me. I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond to prayer for a moment. And first things first, right? If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation for you to respond to all the things we just talked about about having true community with God and with his people. Right? God demonstrated his love for you that he sent Jesus to die for you so that you might be forgiven and shown mercy for your sin and rebellion, but also that you might be invited into the family of God. And then I would encourage you, right, if you're not in community, I don't just mean showing up here on Sunday mornings, although I am glad you are here, and that is certainly part of it. You are not in community already, either through one of the campus ministry partners that we have at UF or Santa Fe, or in a gospel community that, that we have here at Aletheia. I implore you, get involved in one. Right? Guys, we don't design those things so that we can say, look how many people we have. Satan be gone. We don't just create those groups, right, so that we can say, hey, look how many people we have in our groups, right? That, that's not why we do it. But that is what God is using to transform your life, to lead you to a deeper knowledge of him, to provide accountability for you, that you might see a greater worship of Jesus in your own life and that that, wor that worship and that glory brought to him might lead others to come and worship him as well. You bow your head and pray with me. We ask him for that and then we're going to enter into a time of communion together. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the ways in which you love us, proven that to us in Christ. Lord, will you help us to be a church that seeks to demonstrate the love of God in practical and sacrificial ways. That we might praise you together. 
that that community would not exist just for us, but for those that don't know you as well. And all of this might be done to see us bled into a greater worship of you. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.